We're kicking off a new series today. It's going to be several weeks long. I got the idea from this series from a book by Carlos Whitaker. He has a book titled Kill the Spider. And I'm not preaching about the book, but the spider, the, the, the whole concept of kill the spider, the title just intrigued me. It captured my heart. And I want to talk to you about that subject for the next several weeks. There was a, a lady who went to church and she heard the sermon that day and she responded and went down front for prayer. And when she got down from front, front for prayer, the pastor said, what can I pray with you about? She said, pastor, the devil's been wearing me out. Would you please pray for God to remove the cobwebs? He said, you absolutely. He began to pray, God, remove the cobwebs. Lord, touch her in Jesus' name. And boy, she walked out excited and full of joy. And after the next Sunday, she came back to church and she heard the message again. And, and she responded and went down front. She said, oh, pastor, the devil's been wearing me out again this week. Pastor, would you pray for God to remove the cobwebs? He said, absolutely, I'll pray. And he began to pray, God, remove the cobwebs. Touch I pray God remove the cobwebs and she left out excited and full of joy and the next Sunday rolled around she worshiped heard the sermon again she responded to the to, to the t response time for prayer and she came down first and pastor the devil's doing it again <laughs> I would you please pray for God to remove the cobwebs he said no I am not praying for God to remove the cobwebs I'm praying for him to kill the spider <laughs> And that's what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks. Because listen, if we don't kill the spider, the cobweb will just keep coming back again and again and again. How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you have wrestled with an addiction before? You know what I'm saying? It's something that gripped your life. How many of you have struggled with the same sin over and over again? I know I have. Just the same thing. How many of you have ever wondered this? Have you ever thought this before? Will I ever overcome, fill in the blank, anger? I mean, will I ever overcome lust or maybe it's greed or will I ever overcome pride or envy or jealousy? How many of you have been there before? I know I have where, where maybe you do good for a week or two or a month or two. And then the same pattern, the same old habits show up again. And then you say, oh, I'm going to get victory this time. And then for a week or two or a month or two, you do good. But then the same habit shows up again. It's like a vicious cycle. And you ever think, can I ever get out of this cobweb? Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number one. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, notice that, the sin that so easily entangles us, it's like a, it's like a cobweb, it entangles us, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And people's church, it is so easy to get entangled in a bad habit, in an addiction, in a, in a sin, in a destructive behavior. It reminds me of growing up when we would go fishing and we went fishing quite a bit as a kid, and I, I really enjoyed fishing as a kid. My children actually enjoy fishing. We don't do much of it, but boy, as a kid, we were always fishing. And, and have you ever thought this? What goes through the mind of a fish? What are fish thinking? I mean, there, there's this worm that comes down in the water. 
one of their friends bites it, and all of a sudden they're yanked out the water. I mean, what, what, what are fish thinking? They never see their friend again. I mean, the, the, the fish, they, they see this worm and it looks so appetizing. It looks so pleasing. It's so alluring. It looks so tasty. And, and then a fish bites the worm. And attached to the worm is a hook. And, 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 and on the other, uh, and attached to the hook is a line. And on the other side of that line is a 12-year-old licking his or her chops as they reel and the frying pan is being heated up. And you think, what is the fish thinking? Why don't they ever figure it out? I mean, you would think, I mean, come on, would you ever think fish would have a conversation down that water? They would like, hey, hey, man, hey, man, yesterday, yesterday that same worm came down. Bobby bit it. We ain't seen Bobby no more. I mean, you would think they have a conversation. Last week, I saw Larry about it too. Larry has not been back. I mean, you would think fish would have a conversation because you can fish at the same spot over and over and over and keep catching fish. Friends, fish get caught because they don't realize they're being fished for. And we all face situations in life that are so alluring, so appealing, so enticing, so tasty. But on the other side of that appealing situation, something that's attached to it is a hook. And attached to that hook is a line. On the other side of that line is someone reeling us in, laughing and heating up the frying pan to cook us. And the person on the other side of that line is called the tempter. It's called the evil one. The Bible describes him like this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It says that the tempter, the evil one, the devil, the adversary, that he is prowling around like a roaring lion. And he's looking, he's seeking, he's putting together his lures, he's trying to attract people to take a bite so that he can reel them in. And the interesting thing about our adversary, about the enemy who is looking and searching after people to devour, the interesting thing about him is that he he uses the same bait over and over again. He, He didn't have a new bag of tricks. He's been using the same tricks for centuries. Matter of fact, Christians throughout centuries have actually come up with seven major attacks of the enemy. Seven deadly sins. Seven deadly spiders that people bite into and don't realize there's a hook on the other side. Matter of fact, there have been books actually written about the seven deadly sins, the seven main tactics of the enemy. There have been messages preached. There have been television shows around the seven deadly spiders. Pride is one of them. Envy is another one here. You just, just seven deadly sins. All the other sins kind of just fall underneath the category of these sins. Envy is one of them. Gluttony is one of them. Sloth is one of them. Greed, lust, the seven 
deadly sins. And in this series, I want to help you understand these seven deadly spiders. Listen, my goal is not to beat you up. You're going to hell. That's not what I'm about. Heaven and hell is real. But I'm not here to beat you up over the next several weeks. Here's what I believe. I really believe because all of us get entangled in these webs. I have, you have, we all do. But I believe that Jesus Christ can help us get free from the cobwebs. I don't care how long you've been addicted, how long it's been attached to your life, how long the cobweb has had you. I believe that you can walk in freedom and experience all the good things that God has for your life. And so I want to help you understand them so that you can overcome them. And understand this. I want to start with the one that's connected to all the others. The first deadly spider is probably the most silent deadly spider. I've actually titled today's message, the silent killer. Some call it the carbon monoxide of deadly sins. It's so subtle, but so deadly. The first deadly sin that's connected to all the others is pride. Pride. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. A good Bible definition of pride is the ultimate concentration on oneself. Pride is when someone is full of themselves. C.S. Lewis said it this way, pride is the ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on self. The middle letter in the word pride is the letter I. Because pride is, it actually puts I at the center of everything. Pride convinces people that they're the center of their life. They're the center of their marriage. They're the center of their dating relationship. They're the center of their work. They're the center of their money. They're the center of their church. They're the center of their school. They're the center of the world. I am the center of everything instead of God being the center of everything. Pride removes God from the throne of our hearts and places us at the throne of our hearts and the throne of our lives. It's no longer about what God wants. It's all about what we want. And I want to show you what happens when people are full of pride, when the devil, he uses the same tactics over and over, and he puts that appetizing, that lure in front of you, and people take the bait, and there's a hook that latches inside of them. And when they get hooked with pride, they get entangled in the cobweb of pride. I want you to see how it affects us. I want to talk to you today from the story of King Uzziah in Second Chronicles chapter 26. I'm going to unpack some verses there for you in Second Chronicles chapter 26. And before I dive into the scriptures, let me give you a little history, a little, a little background about King Uzziah. He was only 16 years old when he became king. He co-reigned with his father for 26 years. He reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. The Bible says he was a blessed king, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He restored the word of God and righteousness to the kingdom and nation. He built a strong army with over 300,000 soldiers. He led economic revival with huge national infrastructure and building projects. He actually dug wells and, and he increased the agricultural supply. He led spiritual, economical, and agricultural renewal. Re renewal. And, and here's what the Bible says about him. In 2 Chronicles chapter number 26 and verse 15, 
It says, and he built structures and the walls of Jerusalem designed by experts to protect those who shot arrows and hurled large stones from the towers and the corners of the wall. His fame spread far and wide. Notice that. For the Lord, this is key. For the Lord gave him marvelous help. The Lord. He became very powerful. But by the age of 39, everything changed. Here's what the very next verse says in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. But when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He grew prideful, and it led to his downfall. And from the life of King Uzziah, I want us to notice what happens when we become prideful, when we become the center of our life instead of God being the center of our life. If we're going to kill the spider of pride, we first have to understand it and how it impacts our life. Number one is this. Pride puts distance between you and God. It puts distance between you and God. When we are self-focused, we cannot be God-focused. And when we are not God-focused, we become full of pride and become unfaithful to God. It leads to sinning against God. Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 16 says this, but when he became powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. And people's church, only the priests were allowed to burn incense on the altar. But, but pride led King Uzziah to think, I'll do whatever I want to do. I'm the man. I'm the king. I'll do the priest job. And he sinned against God because pride will always lead us to sin and cause us to create distance between us and God. The psalmist said it like this in Psalms 138 and verse 6. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. God keeps distance from proud people. James uses even stronger language. I want you to hear what James says in James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he, talking about God, God gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes. He's in opposition to the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Strong language. God opposes proud people and most don't even know that God's in opposition and there's distance between them and God. One of the most heartbreaking days of my life was when my wife told me that there was distance in our marriage and our relationship. I had no clue. If you would have talked to me, I would have said we were as close, we were, had just a phenomenal, close, tight marriage, but because of my own pride, I was not listening well. There was areas where she felt like she couldn't talk to me about. I would have said we were close. And that day when she told me that there was distance in our marriage, tears filled my eyes. My heart was broken because pride created distance in my marriage. 
and it does the same thing with God. I, the one I loved and loved so much, there was distance in our relationships, and I didn't even know it. And it happens with God. We don't even know it. But because of our pride, our pride, God puts distance between us and him. There's opposite. He's opposing us because of pride. Number two is this. Pride keeps you from wise counsel. And if you're not getting wise counsel, you will never fulfill God's plan for your life. It'll keep you from wise counsel. Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 17 says, Azariah the high priest went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone, the descendants of Aaron who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary for you have sinned. The Lord will not honor you for this. Uzziah noticed his response. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. He wasn't willing to listen. He became furious. But as he was standing there ra he, raging, he was in a rage. He was going irate on the priest, raging at the priest before the incense altar in the Lord's temple. Leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. Pride stopped Uzziah from listening to the priest's wisdom and their counsel and their correction. And friends, pride will keep you and I from listening to wisdom. Here's what pride will do. Pride makes you a know-it-all. You just get a know-it-all spirit. How many know somebody who's a know-it-all? How many is sitting next to them? Don't raise your hand on that one right there. Just know-it-all. Now listen to me. And if you think the person next to you is a know-it-all, guess what you have? Pride. <laughs> listen, pride will stop you from listening to others. It'll keep you from a teachable spirit. People who are prideful, they're always talking and never listening, never learning. You can't tell me anything. Pride makes you a know-it-all. Pride causes you to have a negative response to correction. King Uzziah was furious. He was enraged. He would not listen. He had a negative response. And people that are full of pride have a negative response to correction. They're angry. That they get defensive. I Man, I've been there before. You've been there, you know, just defensive. They can be angry. People who are full of pride, they're condescending, sarcastic. They're always trying to put others down to make themselves look good. People that are prideful, when they're trying, people are trying to speak into their life or correct them or, or coach them or give them counsel or wisdom, they're always justifying everything, always blaming. Everybody else. You mess somebody like that, just, I mean, just, you can't ever pin them down on anything. They're just always, well, let me explain. Let me tip. Let me tell you what happened. What, what you don't understand, let me tell you. And you're like, I know you lying. I know that didn't happen like that. I know you twisting it up on me. I know you manipulate, manipulate, but that's what pride does. Pride is always justifying, justifying blaming us. That, that, that people have a negative response to correction. Pride deteriorates your life. It will just deteriorate your life. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction. Here's what I want you to catch. It goes before destruction. So it's slow. It's slow, but it goes. It goes before destruction. It may not happen all at once. It's slow, but it goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. It may not happen all at once. 
But slowly things will fall apart when our life is full of pride and King Uzziah's life began to fall apart. I encourage you this week, read 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and just read about his life, the rise to fame and power and then the fall because of his own pride. He grew and grew and grew in pride. And then you know what happens? He got sick in verse 19, leprosy. He lost the respect of the priest and the nation. His career was impacted because of this pride and his leprosy. He lived in isolation from his family because of the leprosy, because he would not repent. He would not turn to God. He ha- his, his life, his skin was filled with this, this disease, this leprosy that caused him to have to live separated from his family. Listen, church, unchecked pride will ultimately destroy your life. It will ultimately destroy your life. I want to give you the antidote to kill the spider of pride. The antidote to kill the spider of pride. Notice I didn't say to help you remove the cobwebs. We're not trying to remove cobwebs today. We're going to the root. So I'm I'm going to deal with the root of this right now so that we can remove, not remove the cobwebs, but kill the spider. And here's the way. Here's the way you kill the spider of pride is by being injected with the vaccine of humility. The opposite of pride is humility. The only way to kill the spider of pride is with humility. Proverbs 11 and verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 18 verse 12 says, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, is prideful. But humility comes before honor. First Peter chapter 5 verse 5 and 6 says in the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes not only does James say it but Peter says it. God opposes the proud but gives grace shows grace and favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Humility is the only way to kill the spider of pride. And, and how do we become humble? I, I, I love this time of the year. I love, I love football season and uh, I, I got to play high school football, play some college football. Matter of fact, we, we, we went with some dear friends yesterday to watch the Oklahoma Sooner game. And come on, the Sooners won, the, the Cowboys won. It was a good day in Oklahoma. Come on, somebody, you know what I mean? And so I love football, and, and I played running back, and in, in some in high school and even some in college. And as a running back, let me tell you who I appreciated so much were the linemen. They didn't show up in the newspaper, their name, but, oh, I thank God for the linemen. they get down and had to block. And I remember in practice, the coach would always say, Guys, you got to stay low if you're going to have leverage. If you're going to push your defender off the ball, you got to stay low. You got to come down and fire out and stay low. And here's an example of, of in practice, linemen have to stay. If they don't stay low, they will hit their head. They will bump their head. They got to stay low if they're going to be effective. And listen to me, if we're going to remain humble and be humble people, we got to stay low. No matter the title you have with your name, stay low. No matter your degrees, stay low. No matter how much money you make, stay low. No matter where you live, stay low. No matter how many people know your name, you got to stay low. You got to stay low. Pastor, how do I stay low? I'm glad you asked me. 
Here's how you stay low. Number one is this. Give God all the credit for all of your successes. Give God all the credit for all of your successes. Let me tell you what will happen. Every time you achieve a measure of success, every time you achieve a measure of success, you will be tempted to think you did it all yourself. It was just all of your hard work and your wisdom and your education and your skill that brought your success. That's what happened to King Uzziah. In verse 15, it says the Lord gave him marvelous success. But by verse 16, it says he became proud. He began to think that all of his accomplishments came from his own self and his own hand. He began to take the credit. He began to think he, he was the man. He was self-made. He did it himself. People's church. Don't take credit. Give God all the glory because every blessing comes from the Lord. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Every good and perfect gift in your life, don't fool yourself, it comes from your heavenly Father. Give him all the glory and the credit. David said it like this, King David in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 10. I want you to see how he gives God all of the credit. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting everlasting yours Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours you got to believe that right there everything in heaven and earth is yours yours Lord is the kingdom you are exalted as head over all wealth and honor come from you you are the ruler of all things in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all now our God we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people? God, we are nothing without you. It's all you that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you. You got to believe that, church. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. David gives God the credit. He says, yes, God, I realize everything comes, comes from your hand. Yes, I've worked hard, but only with the strength that you have given me. Yes, I have planned well, but only with the sharp mind that you bless me with. Yes, Lord, everything comes from your hand. It's only by your hand. I only have breath in my body because of you. My gifts come from you. My talent comes from you. My mind comes from you. My work ethic comes from you. My connections come from you. I can't take the credit. I gotta give you the glory. I gotta give you the praise. It's your mighty hand that has done it. So every day you gotta take time to say thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Every day you got to take time to say, praise God, praise your name. You've been good to me. You did it. You pulled me through. You did it again. It wasn't because of my great mouth, my oratory abilities. It was your mighty hand. You, thank you, Jesus. Stay low. Stay low and give God the credit. Number two is this. Serve others selflessly. The teacher preached a little bit. Y'all know I'm a teacher, but... It jumped on me today. Come on, somebody. Serve others selflessly. One of the greatest ways to stay low is by serving others. You got to help others. Think less about you and more about others. 
give your life away to serve others. Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The way up is actually down. Stay low. And if you don't humble yourself, you will eventually be humbled. Stay low. Serve others. Pastor, how do I serve others? Serve in your home. Serve your spouse. Serve your kids. Serve your parents. Say, Pastor, well, how do I do that? Pick up your dirty drawers. Come on, somebody. Pick them up. Do the dishes. Do the laundry. Vacuum. Change the light bulbs. Take the trash down without being asked. Clean the kids up and put them to bed sometimes. It's been, this has been good for me. This year has been a year that I've, I've been working harder to serve my wife. She does a lot of the things around our home, and I'm so grateful for her, our partnership. But I've actually been coming home and working to do the dishes and working to do some of the laundry around the house. And nothing like it when I have to wash my own drawers. I'm like, really? Woo, Jesus. Praise, praise him. Praise him. Stay low. Serve in your own home. Serve at your workplace. Say, Pastor, how do I serve at work? Show up early and do something nice for someone. I rebuke the devil to show up early. I come against Jesus. The devil, I come against. May Jesus be lifted up today. What is Pastor talking about? Volunteer to do something at work that no one else wants to do. Say, really, Pastor? Yes, serve, serve, stay low. Go serve your boss and just say, hey, is there anything that I could do for you? Just stay low. Serve at church. Serve. Listen, I want to encourage you. I want you to come to church. I want you to hear the word and worship. I want you to grow. But listen, don't make church just all about you. Come to serve others. Come to say, I'm not just going to be a, 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 a blessed. I'm going to be a blessing. Stay low. I encourage you, join the dream team. Get on one of our serve teams. Stay low and serve people. Be a greeter, an usher in the park line, the kids ministry. Stay low and serve people. I want to equip you to do this. Can I encourage you? Would you please get to growth track today? If it's your very first time at People's Church, you're going to learn more about the church. You're going to, you're going to discover your gifts and talents. And we're going to help you know. You're going to take a gift, gift assessment test, personality test, and you're going to learn how God's wired you. Why? So you can serve others. So you can stay low. So that you can be a blessing to others. Get to growth track today, immediately following the service, so you can use your gifts to stay low and serve others. I want to say this to you. So many people have such low self-esteem. Hear me today. You are a minister. I'm not the minister. You're a minister. We're all ministers. You're, some of you listen to me. There's a pastoral gift on your life. You say, well, man, I work for AT&T. Listen, I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about your calling. You're, you're called to pastor people. Can I encourage some of you? Listen, everyone in our church, the thousands that attend, every person needs somebody to be their pastor. They need a shepherd. Say, pastor, that's your job. I can't shepherd everybody. I want to equip God's people, Ephesians 4.12, to live out your calling, to do the work of the ministry. And listen, you are a leader. I want you to start helping people take a next step spiritually. I listen, listen, when people are hurting and down and out, though, I want you to be the leader that's there in the hospital, loving people. Listen, at a church like People's Church and most churches around America, if a church is running 200, you won't know everybody. The goal is not to know everybody. The goal is to know somebody. 
You got to know somebody that you're connected, that you're doing life well with. They know you. I'm asking right now for the ministers, those that got a calling on their life. To, would you be a small group leader? Grab the connection card in the back of your seat pocket, back, back, back pocket, and do it with, come on, do it with, like, God's called me. He's called me. Now stay low, but he's called me. He's called me. And would you sign up right now and be a small group leader? Just write on your card as you fill it out, the connection card, small group leader. And as the offering bucket passes by today, drop it in the offering bucket and say, Pastor, I am going to be used by God to lead people to take a next step spiritually through a small group. Number three is this. Number three, how do we stay low? Here's how we stay low. Become more like Jesus daily. Become more like Jesus daily. I know when I say that, it can sound like a cliche, but let me unpack it for you. It's such an, such an important truth I want to sow into your heart. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, out of selfishness or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, has the same attitude as Christ. Become like Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. People's church, don't become religious become more like Jesus. Religious people are not humble people. Religious people read the Bible, come to church, sing songs, hear sermons, but they're full of self-righteousness. They're judgmental. They're critical. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Because I was one of them. I gave my life to, church, to Christ and I became spiritually proud. I became religious looking down on people, being critical of people, not becoming more like Jesus, spiritual pride. Spiritual proud people, but when they make a mistake, they want everybody to forgive them. Somebody else makes a mistake, oh, you heathen, you sinner, God's gonna get you. Stay low, don't be more religious, become more like Jesus. Humility is not about religion, it's about a relationship with a person named Jesus. And the only hope of decreasing self is increasing with Christ. You must decrease. Jesus must increase. Pride must die in you so Jesus can grow in you. Say low.